Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. And now for your listening pleasure, it's the Brum Picture Show. Brought to you by Brum Radio. Hello and welcome to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, a weekly film show covering local, independent and world cinema brought to you by Birmingham-based community cinema collective Screen B14. Well, love is in the air tonight at the Brum Picture Show. That's right, it's that time of year again where all the single people out there are made to feel even more cripplingly lonely than usual. That's right. It's the week of Valentine's Day, so today we will be discussing romantic films and maybe give all of you sickeningly loved-up people in relationships some ideas for date-night viewing. And who better to discuss this topic than three embittered loners? My name is Paul Vernon, and without further ado, let's introduce my tragically single colleagues. First up, we have the ever-faithful and multi-talented Nadine O'Mahony. Hello, my name's Nadine. I like long walks on the beach <laughs> and, and um, snuggling up to watch films. I equally like going out and staying in uh, and eating food like every other human being. So I'm a filmmaker in my own right. I co-present the show with Paul and I'm the programmer and marketing officer for Screen B14, a community cinema and film collective based in South Birmingham. Hello, Nadine. Thanks for joining us again. Now, I'm sure regular listeners will be wondering, where's Rory? Where's Rory? Boo. Well, boo to him, we say. Not only is he still busy making films, but he's also in a relationship. So he's apparently in the process of orchestrating a week-long celebration for his partner. It's going to be very expensive and spectacular. Lots of surprise gifts I hear. Gold. So if he doesn't follow up on that, he's going to be in trouble. Hope she's listening. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But don't worry, once again, we have upgraded and we have been joined by screen b14's favorite autocrat despot and tyrant our dear leader <laughs> mr ben thomas it's a it's a pleasure to be back <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you back ben so coming up in the show we will indeed be discussing our favorite romantic films and give you ideas for valentine's day whether you're in a relationship or desperately desperately alone but first of all it is time for the news section so <laughs> What has caught our eye in the news this week? Who's going to go first? I have a news. Oh, that's nice. Very I've got good. a couple of newsies, actually. Ooh. Um, so Netflix has axed a nearly finished film starring Halle Berry. So we kind of, they've joined the ranks of, of HBO. And the Netflix film chief just said there was just a lot of issues just a lot of issues with this film. They're still working with Halle on something else coming up. But yeah, they're just, we won't see that film. Uh, what was the film? So the film was called The Mothership, as confirmed by Variety. And it finished filming in 2021, but couldn't be completed. There was delays in post-production. I think there might have been VFX. There was just loads of issues, as as the chief has said. And, yeah, it's just another in a long line of Hollywood films that we won't be seeing anytime soon. And since 2022, Warner Brothers has axed three films. 
uh, HBO, you know, getting to see a bit of a trend. Yeah, this is quite a worrying trend. Why yeah. do they keep doing this? Netflix has said it's very rare and it's not the first time they've done this, but I guess it's the first time it's really hit the headlines, you know, Halle Berry being a big star. And mm. I think just, like we say, coming on the tail of these other films that have been cancelled. You know, people put so much into films, even bad films. Mm-hmm. I was actually, I was watching the fast show the other day and there's a bit where uh, the, one of the characters goes, even bad films are great, aren't they? Because at least they try. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're and brilliant. Is that the... It's brilliant. Br- it's brilliant. brilliant. That is so <laughs> good. Aren't films brilliant? Yeah. <laughs> so even bad films are great, aren't they? Because at least they try. <laughs> um, but yeah, because people try so hard, even on bad films. And, you know, they deserve to at least have their work out there in some form. Yeah, yeah. I, feel, I feel like it's a, it's a big studio version of um it's it's about the journey not the destination like they're actually just, <laughs> just falling in love with the filmmaking process it's like this doesn't even need to go anywhere it's just about the relationships and the friends we make along the way and, yeah. you know even if we just get rid of it it's fine because you know we all had a great time making it yeah. even though it didn't go anywhere that's kind of like my entire music career really yeah <laughs> yeah and my journalism career yeah, and, yeah. and podcasting career as well yeah. well <laughs> that's early days you know soon we'll be getting that one billion dollar spotify deal you mark my words come on Joe Joe Rogan, radio, yeah. yes. <laughs> Joe Rogan watch your back. Well, We're coming for you, mate. I am. But yeah, apparently it just wasn't that good, I guess, or hmm. just wasn't coming together. But yeah, so that was my first bit of news. <laughs> okay, that's a good bit of news. You say first bit of news. Like, yeah, I've got another bit of news. Ooh. So I know most of you don't know what Paul looks like, but I have to assure you that he's a dead ringer for filmmaker Gareth Edwards. That's right. Director of Rogue One and uh, The Creator, which got an Oscar mention for VFX. Uh, But Gareth, you might not know, is a bit of a local boy. Hmm. And has been given the freedom of Nuneaton. The freedom Whoa. of Nuneaton. That is and there's it. a lot of freedom in Nuneaton. Yeah. Exactly. And he says, it's nice to come home and be put in my place by my sister. But yeah, like big, you know, yeah. could be winning an Oscar. But that who, pales in comparison. Yeah, who needs an Oscar when you've got the freedom of Nuneaton? Exactly. What so, is the freedom? Yeah, do, what does you that can entail? Do whatever you want. You can as just long roam the streets nude. Yeah, killing Kit- people. Kicking kittens and... Yeah, you know. taking drugs. <laughs> so go, don't worry, I'm Gareth Edwards. I've, I've got, got the, the freedom of Nuneaton, mate. And I resemble the incredibly handsome Paul from... from <laughs> <laughs> it'll go back home to Nuneaton and be like, you look like Paul from, <laughs> from Radio. <laughs> Who we've seen uh, on the radio. Uh, well, I, 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 I like the idea that for for years to come, people look at Nuneaton as just a hotbed for filmmaking, like the Nuneaton yeah. new wave, and they'll yeah, just yeah, be like, yeah. oh, what, a, what, an ama- <laughs> what an amazing period of film history. That. Uh, what a time to be alive. That is a time to be alive. Well, congratulations, Gareth Edwards, and congratulations, Nuneaton, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder who else has the freedom of Nuneaton. He might be the first. He might be the first. I mean, can you name anybody else from Nuneaton? <laughs> I swear I know someone from Nuneaton. Who are they? <sighs> there you go. Yeah, no. Gareth Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gareth Edwards, Ooh. and that's it. That's it. That's the hierarchy. Good for Gareth you. Gareth Edwards, the mayor of Nuneaton. Mm. Ben, my new story is that the 
restaurant in Paris that Ratatouille is based on has lost £1.3 million worth of wine. What? <laughs> so the tagline of the article is, Chef Gusto will be turning in his grave. The restaurant which inspired Disney's Ratatouille can't seem to find some of its wine. It's very expensive wine too. They apparently um, have lost 83 bottles of wine that um, they believe to be stolen, but they haven't confirmed. There's an investigation, which I'm sure you'll be glad to know, Paul. Um, <laughs> the, the man of justice, wine just, wine-based justice yeah, that you are. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to really butcher some French. So it's La Tour d'Argent. Thank you. One of the oldest restaurants in Paris has lost 83 bottles of wine. Pretty expensive bottles. Pretty expensive bottles. And I have the most expensive bottle of those 83. And it is a bottle of Romanet Conti, which was sold for £410,905 in 2018, becoming the most expensive bottle of wine in the world at that that point in time. I think it's been overtaken now. If you had Um, something that expensive, you'd keep an eye on it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Careless losing it. No, yeah, of course. So I suppose the, the underlying implication is it was stolen by rats. Or the opposite <laughs> way around. They obviously hired um, uh, Remy the rat to to look after the kitchen, but maybe they should have got him on security as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there we go. Oh, there Very, we go. Quite quite a quite a loose film story. No, um, oh, that's that's no, what we predomin- like. predominantly about wine. Yeah, yeah. A little I mean, bit about film. No, um, I like that. Previous listeners will remember I regaled the audience with a tale of, of rats performing a heist and uh, stealing some food out of my fridge. So it's good to hear that the rats in France Equally. are keeping up that keeping up that tradition and uh, going up market because all they stole yeah. out of my fridge was some oh. Subway sandwiches. And now we mentioned well, that's that... French rats for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a different class of rats that's that's right. over there. And now we're on to our, uh, our rat stories. Um, Rory, who I live with, who is dead to us, but is actually <laughs> alive in the real world, but alive dead in the spirit. podcast world. I don't believe that. Um, he he did a very romantic gesture, um, seeing as it's Valentine's week, which is he put a rat in uh, his girlfriend's car. What? Um, <laughs> so they discovered it in... Uh, no, he didn't really. Um, they, they found a rat in a car bonnet, which was Ugh. disgusting. Um, so that was... Uh. That was a, a rat-based travesty, I which know. is why Rory's not on the podcast this week. Actually. He's still traumatised. He's uh, well, no, yeah. still in trouble because he's still, of what yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's still in the doghouse, but no, uh, no. That's why he's got to plan this elaborate Valentine's Day week to, to make, make up it. for yeah. the rat prank. Exactly right. Yeah. No, I'm not sure. I'm so not sure how the rat got there. Um, but all I know <laughs> is it should have been looking after this restaurant's wine rather yeah, than yeah. turning up in King's Heath and hanging out in people's cars. Yeah. Well, that's, that's lovely, isn't it? Have there you got go. any news, Paul? Um, I do, actually. Again, it's another production that has been has been halted. What? Uh, it, at least this one was halted in pre-production. Oh, and, okay. uh, <laughs> and apparently was because of Jake Gyllenhaal's erratic behaviour. Oh, Did you yes, read about I've this? read about this one. So, yeah, there was an indie movie called Suddenly that was in development, which was uh, set to be a two-hander about a pair of lovers trapped on an inhospitably cold island. Ooh, and they were going to... I know. They were going to be due filming in the autumn of 2021. So I guess this is a story that has only recently come out because the director is, like, given some interview recently where he's uh, yeah, bemoaned. M- bemoaned the behaviour of, of Jake Gyllenhaal. But yeah, it, it was to be directed by Thomas Bidegon? 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 Does anyone know how to play, pronounce that name? Uh, B-I-D-E-G-A-I-N. 
So this was to be directed by Thomas and um, <laughs> <laughs> with a script co-written by Valentin Morau and it would have been his first step into Hollywood filmmaking. So it was going to star Jake Gyllenhaal alongside Vanessa Kirby, yes. most recently of Napoleon, of course. This all kicked off during pre-production, so they were they arrived in Iceland, which was where they were constructing this massive set uh, of, on on a whaling facility or something. So Gyllenhaal turned up. So he arrived in Iceland, and then things began to go awry. And they first started to think that something might be wrong when he started demanding uh, rewrites to the script and also stripped down to his underwear and jumped in the freezing cold sea in front of the whole crew, proclaiming, when I see the sea, I swim in the sea, which sounds to me like a dangerous policy, but he's Jake Gyllenhaal, man. Well, in some countries, jumping into freezing cold water is, you know, I think, isn't he part like... Swedish or something, something I don't know. The, the Gyllenhaal you know, thing Gyllenhaal. certainly sounds vaguely Scandinavian, you know, the doesn't it? Scandies like jumping in cold water, don't they, Paul? Yeah, they do, all the time. And, uh, so maybe it's just a cultural... And also, so do middle-class people these days. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't so, know about that. <laughs> uh, they're always getting into, you know, cold water. ponds and stuff. Does he say it about other things as well? Does he like? I think that was go, the main well, complaint. When I, when I see a sandwich, I eat the sandwich. <laughs> that's <laughs> a fine philosophy. Other, yeah. I like that, yeah. When I see a crease, I iron my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) When I see a bar of chocolate. So, I mean, I don't think that's a massive problem. And another thing that he said was uh, he was being very demanding about the colour of his hire car. And he said it should neither be red nor white. Which is okay. not 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 that unreasonable, I suppose. Blue, did he did black, he have green. did he have a, a reasoning for it? Isn't like without any. No reason is given. No, just just just, just purely aesthetic. Know, just yeah. purely <laughs> aesthetic. I don't know. I remember I read this, and the director was saying that in France. Mm. Like, the director is in charge, basically. So yeah. he didn't like this idea of, you know, Gyllenhaal was getting a bit too big for his boots. He's the actor, he's the producer, but the director should yeah. be calling the shots. And so. also, as a French director, he didn't very much appreciate Gyllenhaal and Kirby, apparently, reading the script aloud in mock French accents in the voice of Pepe Le Pew. OK, maybe <laughs> that's going a little bit... <laughs> And also, for a scene on a boat, Gyllenhaal was trying to sell the idea that he slaps a fish. Which, I, I mean, I'd like to see all this, to be honest. Like, I wouldn't... You know, sometimes it's those crazy moments. <laughs> exactly. Like, I watched Maestro recently, and if you've seen it, there's a moment with a giant inflatable Snoopy yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, And it's is. kind of like a bit out there, but it's like, maybe that made the film. Oh. Like, Ex Machina. There's a, a, a wonderful dance scene that seems to come out of nowhere and that's, you know, what you remember about that film. So that's maybe true. if you're watching quite, you know, a semi-serious film with Jake Gyllenhaal and Vanessa Kirby in Iceland and then mm-hmm. in one crazy moment Jake Gyllenhaal slaps a fish, yeah, you know, you'd remember that film, wouldn't you? Exactly. And straight to the Oscars, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, you know. it's those moments of madness that tip something I, over into genius. I can I can empathise with the director, though. <laughs> <laughs> having done having done our own short filmmaking and and the stress of that, I can imagine if my lead actor just turned around and went, "Hey, can we do a take where I slap the fish?" You'd just be like, uh, "No, <laughs> we're like four hours it. behind the schedule. You can't slap the fish." I mate. mean, how how long does it take to slap a fish? I think I'd have just let him do I, it. I don't I mean, know. When Jake Jones was involved. 
you know, I mean, you just indulge them. Yeah, just go. All right, get get J- Jake a, a fish. Was he trying yeah. to slap the fish underwater in the sea, I mean, or was it above know, land? We, just, we really it's don't just know. More not, questions. I'd imagine in Iceland, there's lots of fish just kind of lying around. Yeah, so, it'd actually you know, be harder not to slap a fish in Ireland. <laughs> Iceland, <laughs> Iceland. <laughs> okay. So all this stuff happened. He also apparently insisted that the um, set builders should sleep in their cars to prevent COVID spread. I think that's, that's quite reasonable. I don't know. I you think know. that's a bit mean. No. Why? Why? You said Jake Gyllenhaal apologies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I am. Sleep in your sleep in your car in solidarity with Jake. Yeah. yeah. I mean I don't drive, but if I had Well you would have had to sleep on the ground. Exactly. Well, sleep I'd on have, the bus. I'd have slept under Jake Gyllenhaal's car. I thought you were gonna say under Jake Gyllenhaal's It's a completely different image I've got there. That Gin. would be erratic behaviour. Yeah. <laughs> it would. You have to yeah. sleep under Jake Gyllenhaal to avoid the spread of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's going to make it. <laughs> but the point is, it all ended happily, and now they've recast the film, rewritten it in French, and it's going to be, you know, something else now. And now it's going to be called Suddenly Alone. So it's Perfect all right. It's for all our right. Valentine's special. It, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Suddenly alone. Um, and just for legal reasons, apparently uh, director Thomas Bidron has clarified that Jake Hall departed due to creative differences and not because of his requests to slap a fish. Okay. <laughs> which, so, which well, in itself was a creative yeah, 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 I'm sure so, Jake would argue that he would have slapped yeah, the fish yeah, creatively. So. Exactly. Yeah. You are listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio. Today, we are going to be talking about romantic films. So, guys, what do we think of Valentine's Day? Do we like Valentine's Day? Do we like romantic movies? Um, I once got mugged on Valentine's Day. Oh. And that was probably one of the better Valentine's Days that I've had. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was at a nightclub with a friend, and I put my handbag down. And then it disappeared, and we were there was a guy from our school there, and he knew who'd done it, and so we went and chased after the guy, and I did get my bag back minus the contents. Uh, so yeah, that was that's one of my better Valentine's days. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That's that's heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't really know how to follow that. No. <laughs> I, I, I'm also not a huge fan of Valentine's no. Day. Why do you hate Valentine's then? I don't, I don't, hate, I don't hate it. Just I'm kind ambivalent. Of, yeah, I'm sort of indifferent to it, um, which is probably a great view to have on a, on a show about Valentine's Day. Yeah. Well, that's um, kind of the vibe we're going for. It's I kind think, of like a one. Wes Anderson yeah, special. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind ambivalent. of ambivalent <laughs> towards this topic. Hooray. Yeah. I, like, I like a romantic film, though. They're quite, uh, yeah, enjoyable enjoyable to watch. To, to live vicariously through characters far more romantic than yeah. myself. Well, um, that's the thing. Do you think, so I was thinking about this, there's a wonderful line in um, 500 Days of Summer, which is one of my favourite uh, romantic films, where they say that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character's uh, entire outlook on love was driven by a total misreading of The Graduate. So, like, mm. do you think that, in a way, Hollywood has kind of ruined 
a lot of people's chances of uh, uh, love by giving this idealized notion of, think, of what the relationship I think definitely, should be. Definitely, when I was growing up, it I would like consciously think about it, and you'd have that mm-hmm. you'd have that movie syndrome where you're kind of like in the moment, but you're not in the moment. Yeah. Um, I definitely definitely had that. I like to think I've grown out of it slightly now, mm-hmm. but I'm probably giving myself too much credit there. Yeah. But yeah. um, definitely, I think stories impact us generally, like romantic stories, but also like cynical stories or nihilistic mm-hmm. stories. So yeah, I think r- romantic ones would definitely also fit that category of you're referencing moments or, you know, when Harry Met Sally comes to mind mm-hmm. about the two friends thing. So yeah, I definitely, definitely agree that that's something that would shape my approach to, to relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you don't <laughs> want to celebrate Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. you can always celebrate Galentine's Day on the 13th of February. Oh, yeah. Uh, a global holiday that celebrates women's friendship. Sorry, guys. Uh, you're not invited to this one. Uh, but it's February 13th. Time to get together with your gal pals, go out to lunch, go out to a, 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 a special Galentine's brunch, perhaps, bottomless brunch, uh, imagined into existence uh, by the writers of Parks and Recreation. Oh. So, yeah, maybe maybe we need a Manentine's Day or yeah, something. <laughs> maybe there needs to be a male equivalent, Malentine's Day. We could, yeah. have, we could have, like, Go pal- down the pub with your mates. Every day is Manentine's Day. So. <laughs> <laughs> we could have about... We could have like a Palentine's Day about oh, like yeah. people who've been recent, people who've been recently friend zoned. Yeah. Yeah. Or gender neutral Galentine's Day, Palentine's. Maybe that's something we should do, a Palentine's Day. We could get yeah. Crash Rory and Lauren's wonderfully orchestrated romantic. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> week, week Happy longer. Palentine's guys. <laughs> the week long extravaganza. Let's watch when Harry met Sally. Oh. Just on repeat <laughs> for the whole week. That yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, he's always going on about that Harry, when Harry. He loves Sally. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a um he's got a poster in our flat of. When oh Harry yeah, Sally, yeah, yeah. So Aww. that would to, have been I, his pick, I think. Yeah, yeah, it definitely would have been. So yeah, I get to see I get to see what I don't have every single day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when Rory and Lauren <laughs> exactly. are sat in the uh, in the kitchen. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a choice. Guys. It's a choice. Yeah, exactly. But no, no, no. We're we're all not bitter at all. Um, no, no, we're, no. we're we're fine. I don't know. Do we think that romantic comedies are definitely kind of not as popular as they once were? And it's like we're definitely seeing because I think there was a time when like literally every film would have some kind of love story kind of shoehorned into it, and that of course that still happens. But do you think it's on the decline a little bit? Are we becoming more, you know? Well, maybe we, we're getting it? into more like alternative love stories now. Mm. I mean, at the cinema right now, we've got anyone. But you, and that's quite a traditional rom-com, and that's done very well. Oh yeah, with Sydney Sweeney. But we've also got All of Us Strangers, which we we might mention later. But I think one thing that Andrew Scott has mentioned was that there's a lot of tenderness between the the two male love interests in the film, and that's something that he feels we haven't seen enough of. Yeah, so I think you know maybe. And we've had a lot of really, I feel like the last year has been the year of the toxic romance. Mm. So I'm thinking Napoleon, mm-hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Probably some other ones as well. Poor things in a way. Yeah, poor things, <laughs> well, yeah. Priscilla, yeah. Priscilla, yeah. So of I course. think, I, I feel like, you know, maybe Hollywood's fallen out with idealised love mm. and, and sort of fallen in love 
with toxic romance, mm. you Which know. I think it's good. That's a more realistic expectation for, yeah. for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't seem to you don't seem to get the sort of like serial romantic comedy writer in the same way, do you? Mm. Like the sort yeah. of Richard Curtis's, like Nora Ephron, exactly. those types yeah. of writers where they they sort of knock out like five or six yeah, of yeah. a similar style of film. It doesn't seem like we get those anymore. Yeah. But then, like what Nadine was saying, we're getting a kind of quite interesting breakdown of. Yeah. Um, complex relationships that see it actually seems like quite a mature development in that mm. in that area and then we also have got stuff like rye lane which yeah, i guess it's fantastic. like not yeah. it's not like an out and out romance but there's mm-hmm. obviously like chemistry and connection there and it's got a playfulness to it which is it's which definitely is really a awesome. rom-com yeah, yeah yeah and it's yeah it's brilliantly funny but like and then we've had stuff like what's love got to do with it and films like that which are kind of looking at different different like approaches to relationships culturally as well well we're um, showing past lives as well soon and yep, that's that's yeah, another yeah. kind of slightly alternative romance i wouldn't say it was a toxic relationship at all but you know it's a married woman and her childhood sweetheart and a more kind of mature reflection on real love and like mm. you know having conversations about things you know it's not like um the old days where it would have been all buttoned up and, you know, it's like, let's have a chat about this. Let's be mature and adult mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, um, maybe we're just having more more kind of different alternative looks at love and different kinds of love and, you know, um, like I said, perhaps less less that kind of perfect idealised romance that we've had in the past. I think that's certainly healthier for people, isn't it? So, well, Nadine... Yeah. I believe you have chosen a romantic film yes, about which you would I like have. to tell us. Yeah, so my choice felt quite obvious to me. It's In the Mood for Love by Wang Kar Wai, uh, starring Maggie Chung and Tony Lung Chil Wai. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. But yeah, um, In the Mood for Love is kind of the perfect title for this film because it's very, it's much more about atmosphere you know the plot yes there is a plot sort of <laughs> but it's it's much more about the mood about the music uh, music is plays a huge role in this film there's uh, you know quite a few songs by Nat King Cole in there there's absolutely beautiful score very gorgeous cinematography absolutely exquisite costuming I mean Maggie Chung's wardrobe is to die for she wears these chongsams these traditional chinese silk dresses in sort of a variety of prints and designs and, you know, just looks like a supermodel. Absolutely gorgeous. And it's a, it's a very much a kind of brief encounter type story. They're both married to other people mm. and they're very much living in each other's sort of pockets. They're, they're sort of neighbours in a very overcrowded sort of tenement building and, and you know, squeezing past each other in the hallway, you know, something's going to happen at some point, isn't it, guys? Um, but it's also a kind of, it's more of an affair of the heart. It's not, you know, um, this isn't a sort of physical, passionate um, romance. It's much more what isn't said. And, and I won't, there's some, you know, twists and turns in the story, so I won't give too much away. But it is a lot more about sort of feeling and, and sort of almost like the repressed emotion and it's very, it's you know, it's just a very beautiful film. Wang Kar Wai's process is a little bit unusual. 
He doesn't like to write a script and he certainly didn't do one for this film because it took a rather long time to shoot, 15 months in total. Maggie Chung said, I didn't know what I was doing for the first nine months. Uh, she kept asking, who am I? You know, what's going on? <laughs> Sounds like being in a David Lynch film. <laughs> didn't, didn't get m- much answers, but she said, you know, afterwards she said she was glad to have that process and to find the character in that way, but she certainly felt quite lost to begin with. Mm-hmm. I think she would ask Tony, you know, what's going on? And he'd say, I don't know, ask the director. <laughs> <laughs> uh, production wrapped four times. So that tells you something, and, and Wang would come back and go, ah, you know, a bit Columbo-like, just one more thing. <laughs> uh, I've got another idea. Uh, he likes to find the story. And uh, I, I saw a brilliant um, introduction from Ang Lee who said, you know, I wish I could make movies like that. I wish I could make movies without a script and sort of just tell the actors just to make it up and and win all the awards. (laughs) And it is one of the most critically acclaimed films of all time. So there's method to this madness. And And it's worth mentioning that February is the month of Chinese New Year. So this is a perfect, if you want to watch something romantic and something to celebrate the Year of the Tiger, you know, what better film than this? It's set in Hong Kong in the sort of 1960s. Um, it was going to be called Summer in Beijing, but they changed the title. It was going to be three separate stories, but in the end, Wang decided to focus on the first one, which was In the Mood for Love. There is a short film called In the Mood for Love 2001 Ooh. that was going to be part of this in trilogy. Space. No, uh, oh. the year, t- the actual year 2001. Oh, sorry. Which has never been seen apart from at a screening at Cannes. And it, and it sort of, it, I think it inspired him to do his first English language film, which I think was Blueberry Nights. And there was another, there was a third film apparently that was involved a kidnapping, but all of that went by the wayside and Wang concentrated on this first story. And I think we're all the better for it. There's a lot of stuff that he filmed that didn't end up in the final film. So in the end, he decided that they were going to take it to Cannes because he said we could be making this film forever. <laughs> so I need some kind of deadline. And even then, it wasn't the final mix and, and everything. But but people were just like, yeah, this is taking a long time. <laughs> like, we've got other films we want to be in, mate. <laughs> but it's one of those things. It was a bit of a crazy production, people. The cinematographer left at one point to direct his own film. People were coming and going. But it worked for it, like a, a bit like Apocalypse Now. Mm. The chaos behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, led to, in a way, a better finished product, perhaps. Um, so it's it's kind of mad that he got anything comprehensive at all out of, <laughs> out of that. But but that's how he makes films. That's his process, man. Yeah, yeah. If you sign up for a one car wife film, that's what you're signing up for, mate. So that's quite a, that's quite a lot of freedom to be able to to take that approach yeah well it works but like I said it got nominated for the Palm Door Tony Lung won Best Actor first Hong Kong actor to ever win the award can and yeah it's just it's it's sight and sound one of the greatest films of all time the critics poll that they do because it I think it was something that happened on like multiple of his films actually because he was making this epic samurai film I think it was called Ashes of Time and he basically gets really bogged down in Ashes of Time and then decides to to stop and film another film, which right, then right. became Chunking Express, which is one of his other big ones. So it seems like it's something that's happened throughout his career where he sort of is making one film, 
goes, this isn't working, I'm going to do something else or I'm going to stop and then restart. And I think Christopher Doyle's kind of a similar type mind. He's the cinematographer. Yeah, he's like, I'm just going to go up and direct film. He's got to bring in another cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. I, I love In the Moon for Love, though. It's a, it's a brilliant film. It's kind of what Nadine said already, where it's quite... Um, it's very subtle. It's a lot about distance and crossing boundaries and not crossing boundaries. and Trying to connect. Yeah, trying to connect and, yeah, navigating loneliness, but then also navigating connection. Perfect for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Visually, and, yeah. Yeah, visually it's really interesting. There's, again, it, it's quite a distant... Uh, camera throughout the film where a lot of yeah, the shots are coming through through almost. doorways mm. or yeah quite long lenses and you see them at work and you see them leaving work and you see clocks going and you see them sitting in rooms you see them coming through doorways you see it's them passing on the stairs it's yeah and it's got this really um yeah like you said hypnotic rhythm to it where it's quite slow and and yeah. meandering in a way, but then the moments of connection are like really, really kinetic and and um, bold, yeah. And if you like In the Mood for Love, there's a sort of sequel, 2046. I think they started filming it at the same time. Because <laughs> <laughs> that hate man, he likes to juggle his plates. Some people don't like that one as much because the character, Tony Lung, Chilwise character, is quite different in that one or people interpret him differently so for some people but that one that's really star-studded we've got Gang Li, Zhang Ziyi's in that really all the big sort of names of Hong Kong sort of film around that time were in that film so if you love that cinematography as well and that style and you want more do check out 2046. There's an unusual kind of sci-fi element as well in it. So it's, mm. yeah, so this one's set in the 60s and then that one is also set in the 60s but with this kind of um, futuristic story that he's writing becomes part of the film as well. So really ah. interesting. Do check it out if mm. uh, if you like In the Mood for Love. But, well, that, that does sound like something I'd like to check out. I like films where no one knows what they're doing, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot mess. Well, this is, this is isn't quite a hot mess. <laughs> but it, it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it's not very... If you like a kind of hard-driving plot that's sort of mm. racing ahead, it's, it's not that kind of Yeah, film. I think that's, that's the only thing I... Like, other thing I'd say is, obviously, it's cropping up on sight and sound best films of all time mm. lists, which I... I agree with but it's not the most accessible film so i know a lot of people who it is very art house. yeah i know a lot of people who have who have seen it on those lists or got recommended it and thought it was this like really raunchy romance <laughs> that had like a lot like like nadine yeah. said a lot of action mm. when actually it's, it's really really it's more contemplative exactly meditative. yeah so yeah that's the only sort of disclaimer I'd say for people who were going to watch it which is it's amazing yeah. but it's not a kind of yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a as a Valentine's night uh, no, date, I would, date, I would. date film if you're a bit open minded yeah. like I said a lot of people love it most of the people I know that have seen it have loved it okay. but it's it depends on your taste obviously it, like I said it's much more of a it might be the perfect Valentine's film because mm. you don't have to keep too much of an eye on the plot 
Right. If you know what I mean. Just right. set the mood, set the vibe. Uh, you know, some nice, put some nice music on. Put a bit of Nat King Cole on. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Well, well, that sounds like the Job perfect, done. perfect recommendation then, Nadine. You are listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we have been talking about romantic films oh. for Valentine's Day week. <laughs> uh, so we've just heard Nadine talk about In the Mood for Love. And now I had been thinking a lot about what I wanted to talk about. And initially, I wanted to talk about Takashi Miike's heartwarming 1999 romantic comedy audition. Which, uh, which I vetoed. Which Nadine vetoed. I don't understand why, because it's a lovely film about a widower who creates a, an audition for a fake romantic comedy and you know is trying to find his new wife through this audition process. And it's a, it's a lovely film and is definitely something that you should watch on Valentine's. Get, you, get you in the mood. Yeah, heartwarming, life-affirming. Yep. <laughs> um, but Nadine was like, no, you can't do that, Paul. That's not romantic. So, yeah. So, I, I didn't do audition. Well, the point is, I just wanted to ruin some Valentine's. Day nights because I wanted to mislead people into thinking that audition was actually a romantic comedy because the first act of the film it is a romantic comedy but then it turns into one of the most harrowing horror films you'll ever see so I just wanted to play a horrible trick on our listeners really um, so bitter but I was <laughs> but I was vetoed so I toyed with other ideas there's obviously Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind is a huge favourite of mine there's 500 Days of Summer which I mentioned earlier True Romance of course Romantic. The title says it all, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. So that you know that would have been ideal. But in the end, I decided to talk about her from 2013, which is of course directed by Spike Jones, who started out making music videos for artists such as Bjork or Bjork. Is it went, romantic? <laughs> what? Her? her. Yes, yeah. it is. That's well. That's what I'm going to okay. argue now, right now. For it, it's an Go incredibly it. romantic film, but also in a you know heartbreaking and harrowing kind of way. But yes. Spike Jones, who obviously made um, Being John Malkovich and Adaptation, Where the Wild Things Are, and most bafflingly was heavily involved as a producer in uh, Jackass, which is just something that I can't really marry up, really. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, he's obviously a zany guy, but it's just so funny that, you know, his films are so well-respected, but then he's also just messing around with Johnny Knoxville and um, getting into to antics. Um, but anyway, so this was actually the last film he directed, which is a shame. It's over 10 years old now, so I'd like to see Spike What's Jones. What's he been doing? I don't know what he has been doing. I must ask him. So this is about Theodore, a man who makes a living writing letters for strangers who aren't capable of writing personal letters themselves. And he is getting over a breakup from um, Catherine, played by uh, Rooney Mara, and they are going through a divorce. And in the process of this, uh, Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with the disembodied voice of his operating system, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Originally supposed to be voiced by Samantha Morton, which mm. I feel so bad for Samantha Morton because there she was on set every day acting in a little black box. And then was it was she? yeah, <laughs> yeah, was she really? yeah. Throughout the whole production, it was Samantha Morton. Uh, so she was there on set in this little little soundproof box, and like wow. they, they were instructed not to talk to each other like during the production. And, and then that uh, didn't work. And then at some point in the post-production process uh, Spike Jones was like oh we actually I want to go a different approach we need to get Scarlett Johansson in so they just 
scrapped all of Samantha Morton's. I'd love to hear so, that I'm, version. I'd love I, to hear, I know, I know, but it's well, yeah, because apparently the the initial cut was about two and a half hours long, and then Steven Soderbergh came in, got it down to ninety, and then the film that we wound up with is like one hundred and twenty six minutes long. Um, but yeah, okay. But I, I do, I do feel <laughs> what bad. What was Steven Soderbergh doing? He's just, just editing. He always comes. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh. He's like, I can improve this. <laughs> yeah, man. How about like, black and white and silent? That's what he does. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he was like, he was yeah. like step, step number one, get Samantha Morton out of that box. Step number two, half this film can go in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, poor Samantha Morton. But she, she was credited as an associate producer in the end. But you would yeah, be gutted. Paid, but, yeah, she got paid. Yeah. Like, but yeah, but, I, yeah. See, Hollywood, you know, we've got a precedent for just, just scrapping going, sorry. stuff at the last minute. Quite literally putting people yeah. in the box. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Samantha Morton is amazing. So, you yeah. know, but obviously Scarlett Johansson's great too. But I, Obviously, for some reason, they thought because they even did reshoots and everything afterwards to you know to change certain scenes with Scarlett Johansson's voice. And so, anyway, that's pretty mad. But yes, these the directors—they don't know what they want, do they? <laughs> exactly. Let's shoot for nineteen months. Let's get Samantha Morton in a box. Mm. Let's get Scarlett <laughs> Johansson in instead. Let's scrap the mothership. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, poor Samantha. Anyway, um, so Theodore falls in love with his operating system and um, so this is just the disembodied voice of Scarlett Johansson so and it's then, like Siri isn't it yeah so well yeah that's the or thing Alexa that's the thing because they develop this intensely emotional bond and then some of his friends are very sceptical especially his ex-wife who, who says at some point you always wanted to have a wife without the challenges of actually dealing with anything real and then <laughs> here you are dating your operating system and, but then some of his friends are kind of are kind of alright with it so one of his friends is played by Amy Adams and she describes falling in love as like a a socially acceptable form of insanity anyway so why not date your operating system just you know love's a mad thing anyway so you might as well date the digitally created disembodied voice of Scarlett Johansson and soon with Elon Musk's Neuralink we'll all be able to have Scarlett Johansson's disembodied voice in our heads none of us will need anyone ever again so there we go but but the question is obviously this sounds like a mad quite creepy film but I think it's a testament to Joaquin Phoenix's performance in particular and just the direction of the film on a whole that it is actually just an incredibly heartwarming portrayal of loneliness he's a broken man who just wants an emotional connection and I think the important thing about it is the fact that it is just Scarlett Johansson's voice because Obviously, he is, he is forming an, an emotional bond with this operating system. Mm-hmm. And the film wherein, you know, Scarlett Johansson was a robot Scarlett Johansson that mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix is getting down with, uh, he might be a little bit less of a, of, of a sympathetic figure, maybe. because um, I don't know <laughs> if he's incredibly sympathetic in this film, to be I honest. D- oh, I feel for him, man. Oh, he's man. just alone. He's just sad and alone. Maybe and... for good reason. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? <laughs> Well, there we go. Maybe his um, wife's got a point. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, that just goes to show once again is just how your reading of a film can vary very much. <laughs> like, so I come out of this thinking this is incredibly <laughs> Poor romantic. Nadine's Na- interpretation feels like you know those um, you know those memes where they go like if plot points were different. So well, like no, if, if like if DiCaprio came up to came up to the microphone and said, "Yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave now," and then the uh, the end credits just roll. I feel yeah. like that's a that's a version of it with his wife. Maybe maybe the wife. 
wife's right and then the drummer just like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's in- interesting because if you do want to know the other side of the story, check out Sophia Coppola's Lost in Translation. Yes. Which, because the two of them were married mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be her take on their marriage and her is supposed to be Spike's take on the marriage. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be an incredible double bill. They're both great films and they share the same production designer, if I'm yeah. not wrong. So, yeah, weird connective tissue between both of those films. Yeah, girls. that's interesting. But that's, that's interesting you had such a different reading of it because I genuinely do think it's such a heartbreaking I thing. I and I think it is. like him. But he's, he's not likeable. Like, he is, but he's so, he's so lonely. He spends his time writing, you know, he starts the yeah, film but writing Travis a love Bickle letter. is lonely and well, likes to write, but you know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and he saves the day at the end. <laughs> I think it's you so might right. be misinterpreting some of these films. My concept of love was based on a total misreading of the film Her. <laughs> <laughs> like, in Her, it's, it's generally quite a lonely world as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. As in he's yeah. lonely in a disconnected... Exactly. Yeah, it's, maybe it's that's, more of a commentary on, on where we're heading. Well, that's the thing, because yeah. what, what, what I think is really interesting about this film is so this is in 2013 so apparently Spike Jones came up with the idea for this when it was in the early 2000s when he was t- talking to one of the like early prototypes of a chatbot mm-hmm. and now in 2024 we actually are in a position where this this science fiction film really isn't it's that much hap- of a science fiction it is happening like people are genuinely falling in love with chat GPT exactly like Reddit is a is a flood with stories of people falling in love with with chatbots and stuff and there's but also tragedy strikes an update happens and yeah. it's like what happened to my lover exactly. they completely changed personality and that's what I think that's it that's absolutely fascinating because obviously what's interesting is it the film obviously saw this stuff coming but then it misses certain things because like yeah. Jack Whacking Phoenix's whole profession Theodore's job in the yeah. film is a job that would now be done by ChatGPT because yeah. his job is to write letters for people that wouldn't be a human's job in yeah. in this futuristic world and but also we're getting to the point where um because as I was mentioning earlier it is less creepy because it is a disembodied voice and not like a, a slightly sex... Less so, okay, slightly less <laughs> creepy than if it was with a sex robot. And there is a scene where he hires um, a sex surrogate to play the... to be the physical embodiment of... Um, the voice. Of the voice, which uh, I think something like that happens in Blade Runner 2049 as well, doesn't it? I was going to say, that's very that's t- Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, yeah. How but, romantic, but, Paul. You won me over. <laughs> no, 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 but the point this is... Guy. No, no, no. The point <laughs> is, he's freaked out by that experience and then doesn't go through of it so it's about his emotional bond with Scarlett Johansson that's the point it's very kind now. of Lars and the real girl as well I think Lars von Trier and no, the real Lars girl. and the <laughs> real girl <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gosling Ryan Gosling Lars von Trier is not I romantic anyway. <laughs> I refuse to talk yeah, about no. <laughs> but yeah the, po- the point is like now we are at the t- we are at a time when this is happening. Yeah, this is happening. And also going back to the whole the sex surrogate thing, there are companies in Japan that are trying to link up these AI chatbots with hyper-realistic sex dolls. Um, so we On are, Saturday at 4pm, uh, Paul? This will be the podcast version. But yeah, the point is, people are getting more and more isolated and like whilst we're all kind of more connected in the internet like we're, we're becoming more and more physically isolated so what a perfect is, valentine's yeah. film to watch with your sweetheart exactly. well, no, this is one that, so <laughs> maybe you'll thank your lucky stars that you have a human yeah well exactly and personally i think yes 
It is a heartbreaking film. But I think even if you're like alone on Valentine's Day, if you put this on, yes, it'll make you very sad, but it will be cathartic. And I think it will make you happier than if you were to watch a Richard Curtis film on Valentine's Day. Because I think Richard Curtis's characters exist in a less real world than this one. For sure. Definitely. That's, that, that's There's what definitely some very unromantic things that happen in love, actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that are framed yeah, yeah. weirdly romantically. Exactly. So I don't think her is that... Pro- I think it's just a genuinely, you know, genuinely sad and, and, and heartwarming portrayal of loneliness. And it's just, yeah... I, I like How it. Romantic. <laughs> I like it, but yeah, Your it's cathartic. romantic, if, if you just, as I've said before, if you just want to have a lovely little bit of a cry, um, <laughs> then, 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 then of put course this on. I do on Valentine's then, Day. But also, regardless of that, it is just a gorgeous sci-fi film as well because the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, by um, Hoyt van Hoytmerth, they were trying to avoid the dystopian look of sci-fi's and like they, they so they avoid the color blue and all that. I like that it's that not too distant future kind of sci-fi so it's not like flying cars everywhere it's the real world but it's just slightly enhanced by the their technology like certain episodes of black mirror and all that kind of stuff i think it's yeah. a really i think it's a really interesting film because it it's the near it's the near future it's kind of it's addressing that background kind of conversation of um is technology bringing us close together or, or mm-hmm. taking us further apart it's almost mm-hmm. this paradoxical thing in the film where his his form of connection his form of being brought together with someone is actually mm-hmm. the thing that's isolating him as well yeah. I think it's just yeah I think it's a very interesting film and um, it's not like Taxi Driver I think <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very Travis Bickle but it's a, got it's such a lovely ending and then you know and it's about the anyway well we don't have we don't have time to get into this um, but clearly we have some very different readings of this film but I think you should all watch her and let us know what you think who's right whose reading is correct yes. on this one email us at, at Picture, Picture Show at brumradio.com but yeah we really must move on so Ben what is your romantic film my romantic film is Punch Drunk Love 2002 by Paul Thomas Anderson so it follows socially frustrated Barry Egan played by Adam Sandler and he is quite a socially anxious I think he's a salesman isn't he and he has quite a close relationship to his sisters but they sort of bully him and, and tease him about his inability to form relationships with people and again very hurt very you know <laughs> imperfect yeah. yeah I mean mine's got a happier I think oh, it's got yeah. a <laughs> um <laughs> But um, it starts off where he calls a phone sex line. So this is an embodied voice rather than disembodied voice Mm -hmm. to try and curb his loneliness. And little does he know that it will land him in deep trouble and it jeopardises his burgeoning romance with Lena, who is played by Emily Watson, um, who is a good friend of Barry's sister. And it's it's a really interesting film because there's a lot of sort of external representation of internal feelings so the the score and the sound design is very anxiety inducing there's a lot of drums and things like that which mm. reflect sort of neurons flying around yeah, in yeah. Barry's head it's a bit like the um, Birdman sound exactly yeah it, yeah and it's and it's shot in that that similar sort of way where you have this sort of almost invasion of privacy at the start of the film where You've got someone who wants to isolate himself, who doesn't want to build relationships, who is sort of stuttering and struggling to communicate and is sort of just muddling his way through life and and is just being provoked by different things at different points. And it's this really beautiful film where as it unfolds and he he forms this sort of unconventional connection with Lena that you see moments of him feeling comfortable or moments of him being able to express himself. But then bound up with that, you also just have 
his complete flaws on show the whole time where he is has horrific anger issues and really struggles with loneliness again and and has different behaviors at different points which you wouldn't necessarily say were always smooth and straight and narrow i've not seen it it's interesting because paul thomas anderson seems to have two gears which is like very super serious like the master and then kind of wacky out there comedy stuff like inherent vice i think punch drunk love does really well just sort of towing the line between it's got it's got a serious point on like social anxiety and sort of relational detachment and things like that and also just navigating family and pressure from family and how do you fit in within your family context but it's also got this beautiful playfulness as well where um you have some really sweet moments and really sweet connections and like some some quite sentimental bits as well it doesn't shy away from sentimentality but it also has enough of a sort of groundedness that that you understand that these are real people going through real things as well as falling in love and having these romantic gestures or trips away and things like that so yeah it's a beautiful film um definitely go and watch it i think oh, it's a it's a great definitely on my watch list. <clears throat> yeah and it's it's obviously a great adam or oh, i say obviously it's a mm. great adam sandler performance <laughs> yeah. um and Probably he really one of his best isn't it yeah i think uh, he's well, yeah. fantastic like it's it was insane. it was sort of that like obviously uncut gems more yeah. recently was great but that was That's probably the first time where people went oh adam sandler can actually turn it on yeah, when, yeah. He w- <laughs> when he wants Connect. to that, that is yeah. pretty much the extent of his like properly serious roles i guess like stuff like spanglish is a little bit less yeah it's not as out there as the you know his scam of a production company where basically <laughs> all of his films have inflated budgets so that he can take his friends on holiday basically yeah. but um and i know we were going to mention quickly as well that the film has philip seymour hoffman in yes. um playing the match man and it is one of the best cameos in cinematic history yeah. he just completely steals it he's hilarious watch it um, just for that yeah. watch it just for that he's Absolutely. he's phenomenal and um it's in february it's been yep. 10 th- this month it's been 10 years since mm. his death i remember um, that day like devastating yeah like, I've, i don't think i've really been so devastated by a celebrity death because like it was horrible he was the best and obviously such a tragic end to his life as well and it's just like we've just been we've been robbed of so many further great performances Philip Seymour Hoffman the goat yeah imagine what he'd be in now imagine the performances we'd have yeah he's he's brilliant yeah. generally and brilliant in this and so. uh, Paul Thomas Anderson worked with his son recently on Liquid yes, Pizza yes of course of course uh, which is also great but yeah I love I love Paul Thomas Anderson so yeah everyone watch Punch Drunk Love so now it is time for our review section just a little round up of the things that we have watched recently so Ben I believe you saw something that people have been talking about yes I saw All of Us Strangers by Andrew Haig so he's directed other films like uh, Weekend and 45 Years and Lean on Pete I believe so this is described as a romantic fantasy film um, starring Andrew Scott as Adam and Paul Meskell, who plays Harry, who's his neighbour. So Adam is a lonely London screenwriter. There's a theme uh, of loneliness going through this episode. And he is sort of, I guess, flirted with by Harry from a distance. He then comes up to the flat, knocks on his door, asks to be invited in. Adam sort of rebuffs him. Um, But then later on in the film, they form a connection and 
basically something happens which allows Adam, for whatever reason, it's not particularly explained in the film, to be able to go back to his childhood home and to meet his parents, who are the age they were on the day they died. And he was Adam was 12 when they died and he is able to go back and talk to them and they're able to see him growing up and, and living as a writer. And it's an it's a really interesting atmosphere to the film. There's some amazing song choices in it. That fantasy element does come through um, and you've got these kind of slightly strange connections between people. Um, if anyone's seen Petty Mamon by Celine Siamo, it's that yeah. sort of thing of like children or adults being able to go back to to see their parents or their children or their their kind of close relationships at a different point or they get to see them growing up or they get to see their parents when they're younger. It's that kind of like fantasy realism that's at play. There's a lot of trauma in the film and it's definitely a film that foregrounds that trauma and, and the loneliness that comes around processing the grief and, and the, the different things that happen to us and the people that we love about, that we love, yeah. I liked some aspects of it and, and didn't like others. I think conceptually it was really interesting but potentially wasn't executed in, in a perfect way. So I know it's based on a book um, and I think they they took some of some of the stuff from the book, but but changed other parts. I think for me there were like some inconsistencies there, which kind of held me at a bit of a distance. Um, the performances from Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal are brilliant, and there are some amazing scenes between them in particular. And um, I think Claire Foy does a, an amazing job as Adam's mother as well. I think a lot of people have connected to it, and I think a lot of people struggle with the things that they have said to their parents or the things they haven't said to their parents or like other relationships that are close to them. I think it's definitely tapped into that, which is why I think people have responded to it so well. So yeah, it, like I, I definitely worth a watch. I think I had really high expectations for it and it didn't quite hit those high expectations, mm -hmm. but I, I can totally understand why other people have really connected to it and and, and why they, they can vouch for it as, as deserving of BAFTA noms and, and whatnot. It's always dangerous to have expectations, isn't it, in, in life and love and movies. Um, Is it, absolutely. Would you say it's a good Valentine's Day viewing? It it's very it is very sad. Like okay. it is a very sad <laughs> film. With, um, a lot like every other film we've mentioned today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't like there are romantic elements and there is it does feel like there's an authenticity to the relationships. But there's more but, to it. But there's that, more yeah. to it, and the trauma definitely comes to the surface as the kind of main driver of the film. Okay. Um, and there's not loads of respite from that. Um, it feels like it does kind of pervade through a lot of a lot of the film, the kind of elephants in the room and things that have taken place. There's so. elephants. So there's no elephants. Oh. There's no so elephants. Not, so not when but maybe the, maybe the elephants would have given some respite, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that sounds like something that I should maybe check out or maybe not. I, yeah, I still ambivalent. would like to but check yeah. it out. No, it's been getting a lot of buzz, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I... I and Andrew Scott's a, and Paul Mescal are brilliant actors, mm. so... I think, uh, yeah, be interesting to see. See what it's all about. Have an opinion. That's why we watch films these days, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we so can we have can opinions. Put our opinions on the internet. Well, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nadine, have you watched anything recently? I've watched a few things. I watched Maestro. I'm not going to get too into it. I just did it didn't quite come together for me. Less than the sum of its parts. There are some amazing moments. Mm. The cinematography is good. There's some with the performances. 
there are some brilliant moments, but on the whole, it didn't gel for me. Mm. And I felt like I could feel the effort. Was it aggressively sincere? The most aggressively sincere film I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, so Bradley Cooper. I think Bradley Cooper might be miscast, I think. <laughs> he miscast himself. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I think you know, Carrie Mulligan, excellent. She's She's gotten brilliant notices for it. I think it, everybody felt like they were in a 1940s film to, like, the 10th degree. Mm. Like, oh, darling! Do you know, like, just the way, the transatlantic accent just dripping off the walls. <laughs> very, very, like, look at this transition. Look at this transition. Like, aren't I a good director? And I think the script just wasn't there. There are some amazing moments, though. There's a, a very climactic scene at Ely Cathedral, I think it is, and I've seen the real footage and they really capture, um, you know, it's about Leonard Bernstein, the conductor, who worked on films such as West Side Story. Um, so very well-known, beloved uh, conductor, thought of as a bit of a genius. But it's more about his relationship with his wife, but also his relationships with men. Um, we don't know whether he considered himself to be gay or bisexual, but he had relationships with both men and women. Uh, and this is focusing on that, uh, on the relationship with his wife. So, you know, maybe not perfect Valentine's Day viewing, <laughs> but it is a love story. It, is a, it might not be a sexual love story, but it's, it's a romantic. There is a romance between them. There is a very sh- deep friendship between them. Whether that you would call that romantic love or not, I don't know. But yeah, for me, just didn't quite work. But some people have loved it. It's it's got an Oscar buzz. It's also been accused of being Oscar bait, mm. which it definitely is, I think. But Leonard Bernstein is a, is a very fascinating character. Um, I'd love to know more about him. If you're looking for something that goes into his process and how he made his incredible music and things like that, this isn't that film. But yeah, worth checking out. Wasn't for me. And I also watched Bottoms by Emma Seligman, which might be an interesting uh, Valentine's Day choice. It's about two lesbian girls in high school who start their own fight club to get laid. Um, So, yeah, a bit bit of a slightly different choice for Valentine's Day. They're very funny, very heightened. It's definitely a movie movie, which took me a little while to sort of get into. Because some of the characters, you're like, well, this is a bit mad. Very funny. Emma Seligman directed Shiver Baby, which also stars Rachel Sennett. And Ayo Edaberry stars in this as well. Just getting lots of love on Letterboxd. So definitely check this one out. It's very, you know, heightened high school comedy uh, about some girls who start a fight club. Why wouldn't you watch that on Valentine's Day? That sounds great. Yeah. Right up my street. Yes. Well, yeah, I, I fully intended to see some new releases. And then I was like, ooh, 50th anniversary of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, please. So I went to see that. Um, how romantic. How romantic, indeed. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, the world doesn't need another review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I will say it is, it's a masterpiece. But it is, it's one of those perfect examples of lightning in a bottle films in that it's almost it's just not something that could be replicated and it has no right to be as good as it is because let's face it toby hooper didn't exactly come close to this ever again in his life like I, I, people like poltergeist but I'm, Did i he don't direct that? but yeah exactly they reckon spielberg directed a lot of that anyway yeah. so it just kind of feels like it's one of those films that 
It's like it's like the with Nail and I've come on holiday by mistake. We've made a masterpiece by mistake. Like it's just somehow it just came together into this just absolutely genius pinnacle of horror basically and a lot of it is down to the sound design a lot of it is down to the kind of rough and ready documentary style approach um and it's just i don't know i just think it's absolutely you know a perfect horror film um but anyway we all know the texas chainsaw massacre is good or at least i thought we all knew that until i went to see this with this audience right so <laughs> i'm just going to review my experience of seeing this film very briefly oh gosh um, i was angry so basically this was put on by dmp who I'm interested by what they do because they seem to be putting yeah. on quite a few. They're putting on like old horror films in in Odi- a lot of Odeons by the Yeah, we went to so. see Blood and Black Lace and um, Black Sabbath, yeah. Double Bill. So do check them out. So like some properly decent stuff. And I think soon they've got um, a Scanners and Brain Dead Double Bill coming up. And I really like the way they present it because they start off the film showing actual old trailers that would have accompanied the film in its original run. Uh, so it's all kind of really, that's really cool to see, just like these films that you've never heard of, because obviously, you know, back in the 70s, they were just churning out all these slasher films that never really were immortalised. And, and you then, get an intermission. And you get an like Yeah, yeah. Killers of the Flaming. Exactly. Um, but I will say one thing, DMP, because you're obviously listening, I really like what you're doing. But don't bring a QR code into the equation in the middle of your trailers because it kind of ruins the... Because, you know, I've genuinely thought I was in the 70s for a brief (laughs) moment. And then this QR code comes up and I was like, well, that's kind of ruined it. So put your QR codes at the beginning please and then let us be immersed in the in the olden times but no it's really cool that they're doing that because i was like ah that's that's wicked however i saw it with completely the wrong crowd apparently and it was just honestly i've never felt so old in my life i was very conscious that this was a very young crowd i was watching it with and they are not used to this kind of pacing in a horror film they just did not get it so for a lot of it the audience were audibly bored like pockets of (laughs) pockets of conversation would start popping up people were sighing and groaning (laughs) people were laughing at all the wrong moments because texas chainsaw massacre is in a way a black comedy there are really funny moments like there's i just love how leatherface is just panicking like it's just like where are all these teenagers coming from they just keep turning up and he's just got to sledgehammer them and then he's just kind of running around just going "Ah, ah, what's going on he's like Gunnar Hansen's performance he's like genuinely baffled and it is quite farcical and it's just like there's wonderful lines like you ruin the door like that being the most you know outrageous thing that Leatherface had done that day um but these these children that I was watching this film with they were laughing in all the wrong moments like they weren't laughing at the bits that are supposed to be funny they were like laughing at the the cheesy old man makeup and all that kind of stuff and there was a couple that walked out a third of the way through talking Mm. loudly about how old the film was and <laughs> it was just like oh maybe they thought that it was the remake the recent well remake. exactly because I mean good on them for going to try it out I suppose but yeah maybe they did just think it was they the didn't remake have to so, loudly talk as they I left, know though. but that's, that's the thing the whole cinema etiquette gone wrong I know but the whole basically most of the people in the audience were just kind of paying no no reverence to this film oh. and I was just like I was so sad I was like oh is this what it's come to the young people they don't get it they don't they just don't get it and I was just thinking, if I felt old imagine being someone who was actually 
around when Texas Chainsaw Massacre was uh, was released. Imagine how they must have felt sat in that audience and just seeing the younglings not appreciate it. So I'm always very pro the cinema going experience a lot of the time because sometimes seeing a film with an audience can absolutely make your experience. When a film, when an audience is on board with the film you're watching, it could be one of the greatest things. And even when people are vocal about it, that can be wonderful as long as they're vocal in the right way. But this just made me think that, my, my goodness, people are awful, aren't they? I don't What a sentiment <laughs> to end our Valentine's exactly. Day show. Well, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted People to mention that. People are awful. Yeah, that's what I wanted to mention. People, rubbish, aren't they? Got it um, off your chest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so happy Valentine's Day, everyone. That's almost all we've got time for this week, but we just have time for Nadine's roundup of local news and events. So on February the 11th and 12th, the Electric Cinema will be showing The Apartment. Do check out their um, screenings. They've got lots of great 35mm films being shown that you won't be able to see elsewhere. So do check out their website. On the 14th of Feb, uh, we've teamed up with Blowwater. Blowwater will be showing In the Moon for Love, which we mentioned earlier, at the Hare and Hounds. Snooze you lose on this one, guys. I think it might be sold out. And the same with Past Lives on the 22nd of February at the Cuban Embassy. So, you know, do buy those tickets when they're released. These are popular events. Journey Film Club will be showing Pink Flamingos on the 20th of February. The Feckinodian, our favourite, in Feckinum Village Hall, will be showing The Man Who Knew Too Much on the 24th of February. And on the 28th, Whatever Pays the Rent, will play Moon Age Daydream, one of the first films we ever screened. And they will be showing that at The Hare and Hounds. And then, lastly, on the 29th of February, Searchy Open Cinema our rivals will be having a film quiz at the Brum Brewery. So do check that event out as well. Lovely. Well, there we go. That's some events that you can see in this valentine's season. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Do be sure to join in next week where we'll be discussing something else. And as always, don't forget to email us at pictureshow at bromradio.com. Or on our social media at screenb14, hashtag brompictureshow. You mm. can get in touch with us that way as well. And check us out on Letterboxd, mm. Brom Picture Show. So yeah, whether you're loved up or alone, have a lovely Valentine's period. And we will catch you next time. In the meantime, it's goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye from me, Nadine. And goodbye from me, Ben. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to The Brum Picture Show, a Screen B14 production for Brum Radio. Tune in next time for more film fun. And don't forget to email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Return of the Living Dead, there was uh, something that really stuck in my head as a child that I just did not get. There was uh, a boyfriend and girlfriend and the, and the boy was turned into a zombie. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a moment where the girl lets him eat her brains. Oh, sweet. And I remember it? saying yeah. to my dad, like, why does she do that? Like, that's mad. And then he was like, yeah, it's because she loves him or it's love. And I was just like, Ugh. So that's probably why I'm still <laughs> how alone. Old, yeah, how old were you when? <laughs> I, yeah, that. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've never known the kind of love that would let my partner eat my brain. 
Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.